Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, things aren't always what they seem? Uh, Sometimes we use that phrase when we're kind of scoping out somebody, trying to make a a character judgment. Perhaps things aren't always what they seem. Sometimes we're watching TV shows and there's a mystery going on, right? We're kind of piecing the, the pieces together and we're saying, you know what? Things aren't really as they seem. Um, my wife and I, we watched this show called Is It Cake? I don't know if you've watched this show. Um, it's a, a great show if you love cake. And I like cake, particularly chocolate cake. Uh, but in this show, what they do is they spend a lot of time constructing these cakes to look like everyday items. So you'll have like a briefcase. And the briefcase, you have a, a, a legit, proper leather briefcase. And then there's another one over here that One of those is cake, right? So you have to guess which one it is, these judges. And they go through a lot of work to craft the outside of these cakes to look like the genuine article. But, you know, the bakers, obviously, they spend a lot of time on the inside because that's the part that's cake that we love. They have to spend a lot of time making sure that cake is good too, right? So a lot of time spent on these. Then you have to guess, you know, is that really a bag of Doritos? If it is, that's great. I love Doritos but it's cake, and so they cut into it, and then it's cake, you know? So what they spend, they spend a lot of time on the outside, and they focus on the inside. Oftentimes, what is on the outside can be very misleading, however, right? You don't want to bite into that, and it ends up being, you know, a briefcase that's actually made of leather, right? You want to make sure it's cake. Uh, Sometimes the outward appearance is very different than what's happening on the inside, We have to pay attention to what's happening on the inside. Let's talk medically speaking, right? If I just make sure that my hair is combed, maybe today, and make sure that I look good on the outside, but I never take care of the internal part of my body, that's a problem. There is a danger if we ignore the inside, if we ignore what's going on inside our bodies, a real danger. That's a very serious matter. So we have to get that blood work done. We have to go get those physicals done. We have to go get that scan done or that x-ray done because there is a danger if we only focus on the outside and never pay attention to the inside. Paul is going to address that very idea but from a spiritual standpoint as he directs his attention now to the Jewish believers there in Rome. He's going to address and bring some significant challenge to them, which I'm sure they won't appreciate, but Paul is not afraid to bring challenge. And so we're going to look to see what Paul has to say to them and what we can uh, apply to our lives. So if you would, take a Bible, turn to Romans 2. We are continuing in our study of Romans. If you're using one of the Bibles on the seats, that's page 1041. We are... um, In week four of what Dave has said, five weeks of bad news. More bad news today. 
Paul is continuing to build this, build towards this idea, this all-encompassing idea in the early parts of Romans of universal condemnation. Bad news. We are all uh, condemned. Um, and so that is where Paul starts. No one is righteous. Last week, Dave pointed out to us that rule keepers, rule followers, yeah, you're condemned too. And um, you're not even worthy to be a judge, only God is. And so um, it's not about performance or effort that matters. It's um, really building towards this idea, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. That's the idea that Paul is building towards. And that's our theme, really, for the book of Romans. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. So now Paul's going to direct his attention to the Jewish believers. He's already taken the Gentiles to task. Now he's going to focus on the Jewish believers. He's going to surface some things that pertain specifically to his Jewish audience. And it's going to uh, resonate, or we're going to hit home with them. He's been making this shift in his... Um, in his language, as he shifts from they words, they statements, to now you words. And so we're going to see that particularly here in this passage as he directs towards the Jewish believers. Moving from a more global perspective, now he's going to get really personal. So this morning we're going to make three observations uh, that Paul uh, is going to address here with the Jewish believers and see how that applies to us. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. <clears throat> But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Let's pause there for just a moment. Paul begins his statement by saying, if you call yourself a Jew. Now, this is assumed true in, in the actual uh, Greek here. So it's not like, how do I identify today? It's, no, you are Jews. If you call yourself a Jew, and you are, and you do, then this applies to you. And so there's no question who Paul is addressing. And then he says, and rely on the law and boast in God. The Jews in Paul's time were very proud of the fact that they were Jewish. They would walk around touting and pointing out, we're Jewish, we're God's chosen people. You know, they're very proud of that fact. They gloried in that name. They wore it like a badge of honor and prestige, looking down on the Gentiles. They wanted everyone around them to know that they were Jews, one of God's chosen people. Just like us Eagles fans. We want everyone to know that we're Eagles fans, right? We're proud of that, and that's okay. We want everyone to know who we support and who's going to win today. Just saying. But Paul is addressing here not so much what they wear on the outside, but Paul's addressing their family and ethnic background, their upbringing. He says, you know his will. If you will call yourself a Jew 
and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. You see, from a very young age, the Jewish people were taught the law, whether it was in synagogue or Hebrew school or there in the home, they were taught the law of Moses. And he's pointing out the fact that they knew it through and through. They were raised in the law. They knew it. They knew what was right, what was excellent, what was approved by the law, and what wasn't. They knew all about what wasn't approved by the law, what violated the law. So Paul continues with these if statements. If you call yourself a Jew, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children, this is how they viewed Gentiles. They're in the dark. They're foolish. They're children. They don't know anything. We need to teach them. So Paul's addressing that with them. And they would have been, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right. We know the law. They don't know the law. We need to teach them. We need to show them the light. Paul's pointing out that they were very proud of the fact that they were Jewish, that they looked better or felt better than the others, elbowing their friends. Paul says, and having the embodiment of knowledge and truth, the embodiment of the law, the the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, the law given to them by God. It wasn't given to anybody else. It wasn't given to some other people group. It was given to the Jewish people. They had the very embodiment, the physical manifestation of the word of God, Moses and those tablets and everything else. They had it. And Paul says that you were given this. And of course, they might think, well, we have the law of Moses. So we're righteous, of course. Of course, we've got our act together. Of course, we're godly. We have the law. We know what is right, what is better. The physical manifestation of the truth of God could not be refuted. They had it. It was from God. But Paul builds these if statements. If you call yourself a Jew. And if this. And if that. If you've ever done any sort of programming or some sort of logical arguments, you have if and then statements. And Paul's about to drop a big then. Verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? See, these are again assumed true. Really, you know, Uh, you could translate this to say, and while you preach against stealing, you steal. You commit adultery. Not do you. Why are you? You preach against it. Why are you doing these things? So stealing's bad. Adultery's bad. Whether they were doing it physically or just in their mind, thinking about um, someone else in a way they shouldn't be. They're robbing temples. See, it was unlawful for them to rob. Stealing's bad. But also, it was a violation of the law of Moses for them to enter the temples of these gods and goddesses. So not only were they stealing, but now they were defiling themselves by entering in these temples, which were full of riches and gold and silver and treasures upon treasures. So they're going and stealing it. So Paul says stealing's bad, but now you're going and defiling yourself by going into these temples of gods and goddesses. That's not good either. The Jews who spoke so highly of themselves and boasting in the law, boasting in God that they were so good, yet Paul's pointing out, you have the law, but you break the law. And by breaking the law, you dishonor God. Possessing the law was not enough to make them righteous. 
Practicing the law and living out the law is what was important. And Paul says, they weren't doing that. They were bringing shame to the Lord and turning Gentiles away. Paul says, because of the Jews' hypocrisy, Gentiles were blaspheming God. I'm sure the Gentiles are probably going, why would I want to be part of that? Why would I worship that God? Jewish people, they look just like the godless people over here, these heathens. They look just like them. They're living their lives the same way. I don't see any difference. So Paul's first observation for us is that the Jewish people were condemned because of their hypocrisy. Paul is calling them out on their presumed righteousness because of their hypocrisy. They thought they were righteous because they have and know the law. And Paul says, but you break the law, and therefore you're not righteous. So they bring condemnation on themselves because of their hypocrisy. Possessing the law was not enough. Let's continue, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written law and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Paul is now going to address one of the core rites, R-I-T-E-S, of the Jewish people, circumcision. And circumcision was extremely important to the Jewish people. It's a physical sign that they were part of that covenantal relationship with God. A male child would be circumcised eight days old. And that was a sign that they were now part of this family, part of this covenantal relationship. And this is huge, and Paul is now going to address it. Paul's saying that this sign that was given to the Jewish people to Abraham way back when by God himself, he's going to come in and talk about it. It's not maybe as important as you think. But we need some context. We need to understand a little bit more about this. So we're going to keep your finger where you are, and let's go over to Genesis 17. And this is where uh, God introduces this sign to Abraham. Abram has just changed his name to Abraham. God gave him a new name. And so in Genesis 17, this is going to, where, where we see this come out, is going to provide some context for us and the importance of this sign that is circumcision. Genesis 17, verse 7, this is God speaking. God says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, speaking to Abraham, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
He was eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. This is a big deal. This sign, this physical sign that God gave to Abraham was a sign of the covenantal, everlasting relationship, covenant with God himself. That is what makes them God's chosen people. God chose them, not just for this sign, but for this everlasting covenant and possession of land. We could camp out in Genesis 17 for a whole lot more and see how that plays out later on with Isaac and all the way down the line. We could spend a lot of time there. Abraham's offspring that were gonna be numbered like the stars of the sky. Paul is addressing circumcision here and he is going to point out that they are making maybe a little too much of deal of it. They're thinking because they're circumcised, we have this sign, we're good. I don't need to act righteous, perhaps. That's all I need. But Paul's saying, well, that's not the case. It's not gonna save you. Now, he doesn't say that it doesn't have value. It does have value. Paul says that. He says it has value if you obey and keep the law perfectly. <laughs> well, they weren't doing that. If you break the law, Paul says, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. It's meaningless. It's as if it never happened. They would be just like the Gentiles. So he says, them putting their trust in their spiritual rights of circumcision wouldn't save them, wouldn't make them righteous. And a Gentile who were to, if a Gentile were to keep the precepts of the law who was uncircumcised would be regarded just the same as circumcision, be part of God's family. Big deal. Even without the physical sign, he would be counted. And then he could point to the circumcised Jews and say, I can condemn you because you break the law, even though you have circumcision and the written law of God. Huge, huge deal. In the end, their physical circumcision wouldn't matter. This would have blew their minds. And Paul's comparing them to the uncircumcised, which is like an insult upon insult you may remember uh, several months ago, I guess, last year, we studied uh, the book of uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel, and we looked at David and Goliath. David and Goliath, you know, Goliath wasn't just a Philistine, he was what? He was an uncircumcised Philistine, pointing out the fact that he wasn't just from a particular people group, but he was a heathen. He did not have God. He was uncircumcised. It was an insult, a look of, a word of disgust as they would talk about Gentiles. And now Paul is gonna zero in here in verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, not by the law, not by the written code. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, done by the spirit. Paul says a Gentile who is uncircumcised and wasn't given the law, but keeps the law, has the same standing. Outward expressions, won't save you. It starts with the heart. Circumcision is a matter, circumcision is a heart matter by the Spirit of God. 
You see, the Jewish believers were so caught up in their religion of outward expression and action that they failed to focus on the inward attitude. They thought because they had this physical sign, because they had the law, because of their heritage, because of their upbringing, that they were good. That's what made them righteous. And Paul's pointing out that that is not the case. Paul looks right to the heart. It's not enough to just be hearers and teachers of the law. You have to be doers of the law. True faith doesn't come by outward expressions. True faith comes from a heart of faith, an inward heart focused on God and dedicated to him. The Jewish people did a lot of things in Paul's day for the praise of men around them. But God is the one who looks at the heart. So, second observation. The first was that Paul said the Jewish believers were condemned because of their hypocrisy. The second, condemned because of their trust in rites and ceremonies that were not going to sin. They were focusing on the wrong things. These rites and rituals and ceremonies wouldn't make you uh, righteous. It's about faith. Paul says later in Romans, Romans chapter four, actually, where he says, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteous. Righteousness, not because of his good works, not because of his circumcision. It was his faith that mattered. So what about us? Nowadays, we often view circumcision simply as a optional medical procedure performed by a doctor in a hospital. So maybe that is not the right illustration for us. We don't particularly go around, I've never met anybody who goes around noting their physical status. But we might point other things out to people. Look how many times I go to church. What are the spiritual rites and ceremonies that we tout about to make people think or believe that we're righteous? Baptized, practicing Lord's Supper, communion, putting on a display to show that we're somehow more righteous than others. Now, clarification, baptism is an outward display of an internal faith, of an internal decision to follow Christ. But if we do these things and our heart is in the wrong place and we've got it wrong, if we're doing it just so others can look at us, we've got it all wrong. If our heart isn't right with God, then none of those things matter. How about our kids? Do we send our kids off to VBS, making sure the neighbors see? We're going to VBS again, praise the Lord. We sign them up for every single one in the county. Do we hold our church membership in a plaque as some trophy of our supposed righteousness and piety? In the end, it doesn't matter how many scriptures you have hanging on your home, in your wall. How many Bibles you have on the shelf, doesn't matter how big a Bible you carry in on Sunday morning. If you listen to Caleb 24-7, you have a Jesus fish on your car. It doesn't matter if you have a t-shirt, a mug, a hat, jewelry, or a tattoo with scripture on it. If your heart is not in the right place, none of those things matter. Those might be good things. In fact, a lot of them are great things. Some of them are commandments, right? The sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper. Those are commandments given to us by God. But again, if our heart is not in the right place, I can look like a good Christian on the outside, but if my heart is not in the right place and I'm far from God, then I'm just as unrighteous as the next guy. Doesn't matter. It starts 
with a right heart. Starts with the right heart. It must begin in the heart, not on the outside. God looks inside into our heart of hearts. Jesus said just before he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, he said this. Jesus said, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Have you ever had mold in your home? Mildew, mold, you can't just wipe the wall off. You've got to get to the heart of the issue. You've got to find the source. You've got to pull the walls down. You've got to tear the drywall out, get down to the studs. You've got to find the source of that. Otherwise, it's just going to keep coming back. In our lives, outward expression is not enough. We can't just clean the outside and think we're good. We've got to get to the heart. Start with a right heart. Paul says for the Jewish believers, they were condemned because one, of their hypocrisy, and two, condemned because of their trust in rights. Paul has made his case against the Jewish believers here in the latter part of chapter two, and now he's going to um, answer some assumed questions There's some questions that he's sure that they're going to ask. So in chapter 3, we're going to read um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And these are questions that Paul's anticipating his listeners and his readers to have. So I'm going to try to do this in such a way where there's the the objector who's going to say to Paul, well, Paul, and Paul's going to respond, okay? So chapter 3, verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. But if some were unfaithful, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, even every, be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if, my, but if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. First question that Paul is bringing up here. Uh, Okay, Paul, I hear you. What you said in chapter two, I got you. But if being, uh, me being a Jew and being raised, instructed by law and being circumcised doesn't make me righteous, what advantages is there to being a Jew? Is there any? Does it even matter? So this is addressing, you know, what Paul talked about in 17 through 24 and 25 through 29. Uh, Paul says, well, yes, it does matter. There is value. First, the Jewish people were given and entrusted with the oracles of God. That is the the Old Testament, the commandments, the the promises of God. They were entrusted with all that. So that's important. That's a big deal. So yes, there's value in being Jewish, Paul says. No other people group can say that they were given the word of God. Only the Jewish people. Now, they weren't able to live up to that law, live up to the standard. Neither can we. But having it doesn't save you. That's not, that's the important part. Okay, they had the words of God, the objector's saying, and some were unfaithful. 
Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness? Because we fail or because they fail, does that mean that God is less faithful? Well, no. Paul says, by no means, or let it not be, or of course not. Of course not. God's word is true and will remain true. Even if every man, woman, and child were a liar, God's truth would remain firm. Okay, uh, I think I'm following you, Paul. So if our unrighteousness, if in our unrighteousness, if our unrighteousness brings glory to God, well, then how can, how can God judge me? I'm just bringing him glory. If the outside doesn't matter, Paul, okay, I got you. But God looks at the heart, okay, I get that. How, God is, must be unrighteous to judge us then because we're just trying to bring him glory. He can't punish us for that, surely, Right? Now, when Paul says, I speak of this in a human way, this is a popular philosophy of the time. There was this logical, um, philosophical standpoint, particularly the Roman gods and goddesses were very, you know, you do this, you get that. Um, if I please the gods, they'll give me this. You know, so it was always about making the gods happy. And whether or not the gods were happy or not, and this is happening because the gods did this and all that kind of thing. And so he's addressing this. So how can God punish me if my sin gives him glory? Because the Roman gods wouldn't care. And Paul says, again, by no means, let it not be. Of course not. If God was okay with your sin and mine, how could he judge the world? That's not holiness. That's not an impartial judge. If God lets us go with our sin and turns a blind eye just because it gives him glory, then there is no standard. God won't excuse sin just because it will give him glory. Okay. Verse 8, the person says, well, and why not do evil that good may come? What's the difference? Why can't I just live my life doing what I want? If good comes of it, right? God gets the glory. It should be fine. Paul doesn't even go there with them. He hardly even answers their question. What's he say? He says their condemnation is just because people who think and act that way just want to do evil. They're looking for an excuse. They're not concerned about following God's law, not concerned about really giving God glory, not concerned about changing their lives around, making sure their heart's right, making sure they're doing the right things. They just want to do evil. They're looking for an excuse and justification to sin. And Paul says if God were to do that, then he's not holy. And if you're questioning God's holiness, and if you're questioning whether or not God should judge you because you just want to do evil, well, then your condemnation is just. That's borderline blasphemy. That is not the way that God wants it to be. Very core to who God is is his holiness and his justice. And so if you're just looking for a reason to sin, looking for God to put a rubber stamp on your sin, well, then you've negated, you're, you're, you're denying God's holiness. Our third observation from Paul's letter here to the Jewish people, or they were condemned because of their unbelief. The first, because of their hypocrisy. Second, because of their trust in rites and ceremonies. And third, because of their unbelief. Righteousness doesn't come by thinking you're better than God. Righteousness doesn't come thinking that you can have this logical debate with God. Oh, I got you, God, in this, in this logical statement here. <laughs> I got you. We can't outsmart God. Righteousness doesn't come thinking that you can keep on sinning and God will just turn a blind eye because it gives him glory. That's not how it works. Our sin is an offense to God. 
And we can be very intentional about our sins. Sometimes we aim to misbehave. We say things, we do things, we think things that are far from God. Have you ever said things that were not Christ-like? When that person cuts you off? Hope they get into a wreck. Not die, I just hope they get into a wreck. What are the things you're saying about the opposing team later this afternoon? Ever start a rumor about someone at the water cooler? How about padding an expense report because no one will notice it? Loud your thoughts to head down a trail that you know isn't right? How are you treating that person across the hall in school? What are some of the things that you're posting on social media? How are you celebrating the things you see? What are you celebrating? How are you celebrating that? See, oftentimes, when we allow ourselves to go down this road, that's not Jesus in me. That's the sin nature. It's the flesh making another cameo appearance, and we need God to convict us of that. And sometimes God needs to knock me off my high horse first because I think I'm justified in thinking that way. Huh. They are going 15 miles under the speed limit. I hope something happens to them because I got places to be. I think I'm justified in that, right? Because I want to go the speed limit. God needs to humble me. God needs to convict me. We got to stop thinking that we're more righteous than others. We got to stop putting our trust in outward appearances. God looks at the heart and we need to take a step back and evaluate our hearts. What is it in my heart that is causing me to want to say those things or to think those things? What is it in my understanding of God or my lack of understanding of God? What is it in my devotion to him or lack of devotion to him that causes me to want to head down that road, to think that way, to act that way, to say those things, to do that thing? It's because I need to do some heart work. You and I, we all have heart work to be done. We've got to... Focus on the heart, not just the outside, not just how we appear in front of others. Because if we ignore what's going on on the inside, that is bad news. That is trouble. Nothing in my effort, performance, birthright, family background, religious background, physical appearance, modification, education, point of view, perspective, none of that matters if my heart is far from God. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. My faith is in Jesus Christ, and that is what matters. When I was a kid, I'd often hear this phrase. You kind of joke about it because you're like, what does that even mean? But we would say, ask Jesus into my heart. Folks, I need Jesus in my heart because I need to open the doors of my heart, the closets, the crawl spaces, and clean up the filth and the garbage and the sin that's in there where the sin nature just wants to keep it hidden. And I need to be willing to do that. I can't be like, Jesus, you can have this door, that door, and that door, but this one over here, you just, you work over there. Jesus needs to come in. We need Jesus to clean out, just like that mold, we need him to clean out our heart. We need to do some heart work and start with the right heart and then the rest will follow. It's like Jesus said about that cup. Clean the inside of the cup first. Paul says there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, circumcised or not. All have sinned and all fall very short 
of the glory of God. I can't earn it. I can do nothing to earn righteousness or gain favor in God's sight to be made righteous on my own. Not at all. I'm only justified because of God's grace and the work of Christ. That's the only way to be made righteous. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. And that's the good news. But stay tuned. We're still in bad news. We still have another week. But soon the good news is coming. And it's really, really good news. Really good news. So hang in there. We'll get there as we continue through Romans. Start with a right heart. What are the areas that you need to sit down and consider and have God reveal to you? What are the areas in my heart that are not right, that need to be made right by God's power, by God's spirit, by the Holy Spirit working inside me? Now, maybe you've not come to Christ. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you've not placed your faith and trust in him. Maybe you're putting your faith and trust into uh, works or in the outward appearance or an appearance of righteousness, hoping that it will count. Well, if that's you, then I invite you to, to consider the offer that Jesus makes. You can pick up one of these um, starter kits. And this is um, a a box that has lots of really helpful resources in it. Uh, there's a New Testament. There's some other uh, really, really good stuff in here. I have a few of these over here on the, on the window, the, the shelf there. Uh, you can pick up one of these um, really, really helpful things in here. There's also out in the, uh, at the Welcome Center, we have this handout that is a resource we're making available called the Romans Road to Salvation. There's also a digital copy on our Romans Hub the page that's on our website, gracepointpa.org slash Romans. And this walks through the book of Romans, starting in Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans uh, 6, and goes through bad news, but then brings the good news. And so it's called the Romans Road to Salvation. I invite you to uh, pick up one of these at the Welcome Center or grab one uh, off our website. Um, really, really helpful resource. Folks, we have heart work to do. And it's hard heart work sometimes but it's important we need to do it if we start with a right heart the rest will surely follow but we've got to get our heart right we've got to start with a right heart let's pray oh lord i pray uh for my friends here and um for all of us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would expose the areas of our heart that need to be made right. Where are the areas in our heart, Lord, that are, are far from you? The areas, Lord, that we're maybe keeping hidden that we don't want you to see. We don't want you to deal with. Lord, convict us. Convict us of our sin. Lord, convict us of our outward appearance to make it seem like we're righteous or we're more um, spiritual than others. God, get to the matter of our hearts. Lord, please help us start there and the rest will follow. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to work an amazing work inside of us. As we continue on this journey to be more like Christ, we need to think and act. Our hearts need to reflect more of Christ. God, I pray uh, for my friends that you would do that for, for each of us uh, this week and in the weeks to come. 
as we continue and looking ahead to the good news, Lord, that, that it's not just that we are condemned, but you have saved us beyond so much than what we deserve. Righteousness through Christ. Lord, thank you for this time and reveal to us what we need to deal with by your power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.